Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Joe Biden formally accepts the Democratic Party's nomination for U.S. president this week at the Democratic National Convention. The convention is always a key moment in the presidential election calendar, so I thought this would be a good opportunity to take a step back and discuss what a Joe Biden administration's foreign policy agenda would look like, and whether or not there's something that could be credibly called a Biden doctrine. Joe Biden is a longtime fixture in foreign policy circles, and it's worth remembering that before he became vice president in 2009, he was the top Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, going all the way back to 1997. He clearly has a long foreign policy record, but from that record, could you deduce what might be considered a doctrine? Other than Joe Biden himself, Steve Clemens is probably the perfect person to discuss this question, not least of which is because in August 2016, he wrote an article for The Atlantic called The Biden Doctrine. Steve Clemens is editor-at-large for The Hill, which is a media outlet that focuses on congressional affairs. He has also had a career that straddles journalism and insider foreign policy circles, which gives him a unique perspective as a foreign policy analyst. Steve Clemens has accompanied Biden on Air Force Two on a number of foreign trips, and so we kick off discussing just what it's like to witness Joe Biden doing foreign policy in action and up close. We discuss what some of those foreign trips demonstrate about Biden's approach to foreign policy before having a longer conversation about what might make for a Biden doctrine. This is a great episode. On a personal note, I just want to say I was thrilled to speak with Steve. He was my very first boss when I moved to D.C. in 2003 and a kind mentor and is always someone whom I love learning from and I suspect you will love learning from him as well. And a quick note before we start, if you're interested in hearing more about topical issues, check out Rising to Respond, a podcast that gives you a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for humanitarians to fight COVID-19 around the world. Brought to you by World Vision, they're covering stories you're not seeing in the news. Hear from global leaders, frontline workers, and children about the realities they're facing during this global pandemic. You can find Rising to Respond on your favorite podcast player or visit wvi.org slash rising to respond. And of course, as always, please feel free to reach out to me. You can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I love hearing from you. I love learning what is on your mind. And if you have suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover, send them my way. I look forward to it. All right, here is my conversation with Steve Clemens, editor-at-large of The Hill. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization 
hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Sure. I traveled on three trips with Vice President Biden on Air Force Two, and one of these was to Asia. It was uh, a trip that took us um, through Alaska, actually, and then we went to Japan, South Korea, and China. We met uh, Xi Jinping uh, at that time, and uh, it, it was a, the, the trip re- was really to um, show that the Obama administration was engaged in Asia, um, but it was also part of the kind of growing I wouldn't call it relationship, but, you know, sort of trying to test where each other was at between Xi, who had just taken over uh, as as a premier in China uh, and Obama. And remember, um, Joe Biden was the one who actually did the orchestration of the Sunnyland Summit between Obama and Xi Jinping uh, way back when. So I traveled on that trip uh, with Mark Landler of The New York Times and David Nakamura of The Washington Post and Josh Letterman, then of AP, who's now with NBC. And it was a it was an incredibly interesting trip, which I'll get into. But the other two trips, uh, I went to Davos um, with the vice president. And I actually uh, went on his very last final official foreign travel trip, was the only journalist on that um, also to Davos. But on that trip, we went through Ukraine, which was interesting and sort of, you know, preceded uh, a lot of the, you know, bl- blow up and later controversy over Ukraine. Uh, but we went and met the, you know, then uh, uh, president of Ukraine and and. You know, it's just fascinating. So, you know, some of the things that just, just, you know, were always characteristic of Joe Biden was that he would exhaust his team. We, these were late night, often overnight trips. Uh, and he was always working. We could kind of see directly into uh, the kind of cabin where many of the officials travel with him. And he was clearly wearing out his folks and had more energy than they did. You know, when you fly to Asia, it's a long way. Um, but the other thing is, you know, traveling with the journalists I did, uh, uh, also I traveled with Carol Lee of NBC now. She was with the Wall Street Journal before and with um, Karen DeYoung of the Washington Post. Uh, Joe Biden would come back and, you know, in an off the record way, talk about us, give us the deepest dives to what was going on in his mind and with the challenges, the national security challenges of, of the nation uh, and what his role would be there. And he was both... Uh, generous with his time uh, in explaining these to us and coming back of the plane. But, you know, you have to imagine this. And, and I, I had had a preceding relationship and friendship with, with Biden. So, you know, he would come back and really spend a lot of time. And these other journalists would say, how is this happening? This never happens on a plane. So I don't know if these were the normal type of trips with Biden. But when I was on the plane, he always came back and literally spent hours with us. So much time, in fact, that the... Uh, uh, the plane stewards uh, and attendants on the on the plane, you know, couldn't serve meals, couldn't you know do things, and so then Joe uh, Biden began you know serving meals to people, getting them drinks as he continued to talk to us. So it's, it's it was a remarkably so it combined kind of high octane national security and foreign policy substance with Joe Biden's nat- natural people to people charisma. And, and it was quite a package to see. And I saw it on every one of these trips. So, so when he met, she, uh, you, I mean, like how did that relationship manifest itself from what you were able to see as a reporter on, on that trip? Because obviously this is going to be the key 
uh, relationship going forward should Biden be president. Uh, what did it look like at that time? Well, I'll never forget. You know, I want to put a little bit of a preamble on that because there was a time when in my role as a blogger back then writing, you know, the Washington note, which you knew well, and oh, yeah. also being then later at the Atlantic, um, I was invited, but I also was affiliated with think tanks. I was, you know, sort of this, this, um, you know, oddball in the national security and foreign policy space. And so I would be invited to meetings at the white house, um, with, with principals, uh, uh, to talk to them in an off the record session. And we went over one time to talk about Iraq and the ongoing challenges with Iraq because people forget that Joe Biden was one of many foreign policy standouts in the Obama administration. Of course, there was Susan Rice, you know, there was John Kerry. Uh, There were a lot of people who thought they had the the terrain of of the foreign policy area, you know, Hillary Clinton, of course. And, And so if you go back and look at what Joe Biden got, he got the worst dregs of the foreign policy. uh, scene. And that was dealing regularly with Iraq, which was an ongoing headache in many ways and challenge. So I went in one time and, you know, it looked like he was going to be shifting and doing some new things. And I asked him, I said, you know, Mr. Vice President, what are you going to, what's your, what's your next big deal going to be? You know, now that, you know, we're moving into a new stage on Iraq and he flipped around and he told all of us and he held his hand out and he goes, China. And I go, Oh, wow, that's new because nobody had really been managing China. This one was, was Xi Jinping was still vice premier and and uh, uh, Tom Donilon, then who was then the uh, uh, national security advisor and uh, others were trying to basically elevate China's importance with the rise of Xi Jinping and so that they could have a constructive relationship. So so Biden was really assigned to become the architect of laying that early groundwork. So when we went over, we met Xi Jinping after he had ascended to the top post that was when Z was trying to talk about his theory of great power relations and whatever that meant. But you could tell both sides were trying to figure out how to manage, you know, China's rise constructively. And you felt that on the Chinese side as well. But there were a lot of issues at that time, you know, in, including when we were over there, the two big issues that, that Biden had to deal with were one, China trying to designate you know, airspace um, that would require its approval or whatever. I forgot what it was called. So, yeah, so so the air travel issue and and figuring out what these designated airspace issues was, was one of the issues. But was, so, too, was the treatment of journalists. At that time, China had been expelling journalists, trying to control journalists. I remember Bob Davis of the Wall Street Journal was over there. And so the treatment of the free press at that time was a big issue as well. Um, as how they were dealing with other kind of elements of, you know, educational contact, because it, it, it was boiling at that moment. And to his credit, you know, Joe Biden went in and, and really was quite uh, direct with uh, Xi about these issues. He did not uh, go prost- you know, prostrate on the, the ground and, and, and uh, 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 just acquiesce to what China wanted. It was a very good, solid thing. But you had the sense that this meeting between Biden and Xi Jinping really mattered, but it was, you know, two great powers, two great states being honest and candid with each other. And it's a real foil, I think, to what you see to some degree going on right now. Um, but, you know, Biden went around and we did all the sites. We went to, to to various things. But I remember when he met at that point, also the vice premier, the other journalists on the trip couldn't go. And I went to cover that because I was doing the pool report that day. 
And Joe Biden was standing on a, 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 a stand and there were about a hundred of us other, about you know, 99 Chinese cameramen and journalists <laughs> and, and me. Uh, and of course, you know that I'm six foot four. So I, you know, was towering over a lot of these folks. And, and so Joe Biden on the premier said, that's Steve Clemens. He's a journalist. He's the kind of guy you folks in China should talk to. Da, 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 da. And he, they both walked over, the vice premier and Joe Biden shook my head. It was very awkward. But he was trying to make a point that engaging with journalists is the right thing to do. It's not something to be afraid of or trying to control. And, and, and so those were the big issues at the time. Um, and I think I saw Joe Biden um, demonstrate what he called this kind of, you know, person to person sorting out. But it's a, you know, you know, Biden is a is a tough love relationship with foreign leaders, right? He is candid with them. He tries to understand where they're coming from, but he never yields on core American interest issues or issues of human rights. Um, and that was interesting to see that in motion and action. And, and he was kind enough to spend a lot of time talking to us both before and after these meetings so that we had a good read on what happened. So, I mean, based on your experience covering him directly, but also, you know, your long experience in foreign policy circles in D.C., like what would you say is a Joe Biden foreign policy doctrine? Is there a doctrine that's discernible? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, that's a great question because it's not one that is going to, you know, it, you know, be a kind of doctrine that many people, I remember when I wrote um, my my article called The Biden Doctrine, uh, I, an academic out there said, oh God, don't let Clemens get near any doctrines because <laughs> what, what we were trying to sort of, you know, write at that point, I asked Joe Biden directly if there was, and this was in part because of Jeff Goldberg's excellent piece on the Obama doctrine that ran in the Atlantic. I asked Joe Biden, I said, what is your doctrine? And, and so I wrote what his response was. His response in the article that I wrote was that it has to do with knowing a leader, knowing the person, knowing their terrain, knowing what latitude they had. So he has a he has a kind of doctrine that is antithetical to the way most doctrines that think about American power and strategic choice is built. It, it it's more ad hoc. Uh, it's it's definitely geared around interest, but it's geared around what he thinks leaders can do and to find that overlapping area. Uh, of interest with the United States and trying to see where things can push. So it's an, it's a process doctrine as opposed to a more sterile structural doctrine when it comes to how to think about uh, America's core interests. You know, what are the lines you cross? Now that, that being said, he's a highly creative mind about what's possible. Of course, many people may remember the Biden Gelb plan for Iraq. You know, this was Joe Biden and then the, the, uh, President of the Council on Foreign Relations, Les Gelb, coming up with a plan and saying that um, we needed to divide, you know, Iraq essentially into three zones and create a federated structure. And when you looked at it back then, it was a highly provocative statement. And it showed his concern that the energy and resources that would have to be taken to create a single monolithic control uh, uh, of the entire nation would come apart. 
and that are not understanding that these three areas of the country that didn't trust one another and that had nonetheless had to deal in sharing some resource allocations had to be managed better. You know, in in large part, we sort of de de facto ended up into something that looked rather similar to what Biden and Gelb suggested, but it was incredibly unpopular. And he was derided at the time uh, that he had made the suggestion. This is before he ran uh, with Obama um, for president. So he's got a nimble mind. He's willing to kind of not be just driven by inertia of whatever we thought about yesterday. But he's he's leader driven. And I think that he looks at a Putin. He looks at a Xi. He looks at a you know, he would look at a Kim Jong Un. He would look at a Angela Merkel, you know, and, and in the broad array of how do you build um, alliances and friends for a safer world that achieves great things or helps our allies on their dark days. It all for him becomes a mathematical equation of how do you piece together leaders and their tolerance for uncomfortable positions that they nonetheless sometimes have to take. So I and know that's I, very yeah. squishy, but that's how his head well, works. Well, I remember in, in your article, I think the quote was something like, you know, foreign policy to him is an extension of personal relationships. And I remember I saw something of a valedictory speech he gave as vice president out here at the uh, Corbell School of International Affairs in Denver, in which he, he said the same thing, you know, outright. He said, you know, foreign policy is a natural extension of personal relationships. And he's a guy who over the course of you know 45 years in public life has built a lot of of personal relationships with a lot of leaders around the world right i think that that is exactly the frame that he brings to this now then you have i think the natural next question is okay you've got these personal relationships what are you trying to achieve that's what takes joe biden into the questions of okay how do you manage uh you know uh, uh basically hot uh burning you know, nasty challenges like Syria at that time, the, the, you know, the, the terrific loss of, of, of life and also the, um, you know, the, the refugee crisis around the world. How do you look at big, uh, challenges of climate change? How do you deal with, uh, you know, what's going on with regards to what looks today like a, you know, uh, an increasingly tense collision between Chinese and American interests around the world? So when you kind of look at those various dimensions, his first starting place is to figure out the terrain of leaders and leadership and personal relationships that he has or needs to build. But the next part that he hasn't really answered, um, you know, adequately for me is what does he want to do with this? What are the, does he want to redo and redraft, you know, the global social contract and institutions like the UN, the WTO, uh, uh, and many of the other global institutions that are out there that were largely driven out of U.S. design with allies, but perhaps, you know, need to be rethought. I think that would be something um, that that I haven't really heard Biden talk about, but it wouldn't be inconsistent to think that he might bring people on to begin thinking about that. So I think the big question with Biden is, is he going to be a caretaker president who largely tries to incrementally get stability back, but we largely keep the structures in place that we have today? Or is he going to be somewhat of a revolutionary president and come in and try to reinvent and re recreate a global order that is more stable and that reflects the power relationships uh, in the world that exists today to try to achieve great ends for the world? You know, I think that is the that is the uncertainty that we have out there. We know his style. We don't know what his objective is going to be. What would suggest to you uh, whether what approach that he might take? Like, are there any key inflection points or speeches you might look forward to that could suggest one way or the other um, what kind of approach he might take? Okay, I think Joe Biden is someone who 
uh, is both, I mean, he both combines, you know, I don't know if we're allowed to call it Wilsonian idealism anymore, but, but um, uh, given Wilson's um, own bigotry in the past, but, but, you know, a kind of idealism about great purposes about human rights, about transnational goals and objectives, and about you know how you organize and 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 deal with these. I think he's given a lot of speeches about what the inventory of challenges for America and its partners are. That said, while he talks about rights, he does this. He ha- he keeps it more hidden, but he's a closet realist. He knows you can't achieve everything in one day. You know he knows you can't uh, wave a magic wand. That you have to come to deals, you know, at the time, one of the times I was with him, uh, uh, and, and we had an incredible group of, of, of advisors on the plane at the time, but we were meeting Erdogan in Turkey. We went to Turkey. Uh, we met Erdogan. It was a fascinating trip. And Jill Biden was on the trip and she was dealing with Mrs. Erdogan and, and, and Mrs. Erdogan, uh, uh, you know, uh, Erdogan's wife was worried about what Joe Biden was saying about academics and free thought and uh, education. But it's part of the deal there. He was also trying to get Turkey not to do what it later did, which is to go over lines and engage in mass slaughter, you know, of Kurds. Uh, And that the obfuscation and the blurring of lines between different Kurdish groups in the Syria contest versus Kurds, they were identified as terrorists inside Turkey. This is what Joe Biden was trying to get into the micro dimensions of that. And 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 work it very well. And so that is a tactical thing that he sort of thought could could go. So when you kind of look at that inventory of stuff and say, okay, what what is Joe Biden going to be about? I think Joe Biden is going to be about how in these areas that really matter to America, do we make them better and not worse? And so that doesn't say, okay, that's not a new Cold War with China. That's not a big, you know, meta topic, but it does mean, you know, making these little tough areas better. And I think that's just the way his mind worked. Then I think they're going to be, you know, from speeches and positions he's taken on climate change, I think that these kind of large global transnational challenges and problems, he's going to try to use those as a way to re-anchor something for China and the United States to work with other big global stakeholders about. He's talked about it many, many times, but you've got to give states that are right now in a collision course, something bigger than that to be about and work together to kind of take the pressure off that bilateral tension. So I think he's going to move that direction as well. How do you suppose a Biden administration would differ from Obama administrations on foreign policy? I mean, you know, during the administration, you know, he was against the Afghan surge, uh, a, a debate that he broadly lost at the time. But then in 2012, he was also against sort of broader intervention in Syria following the red line uh, debate he he sort of won at the time. Um, are there any sort of big fundamental differences you see between Obama's approach to foreign policy and how a Biden administration might approach it? Look, I want to be careful here because, you know, any administration is not just one man. It's a franchise of people and thinkers of contending views. And, and you know, Barack Obama was a cautious realist in a way. Um, and I think that he, you know, had a very different year. If Hillary Clinton had been president, I think that Hillary Clinton might have been, you know, much more um, willing to lean in with American military forces, American power, with a lot of broad uh, uh, American things. It's not to say that Barack Obama was wrong or right in those cases. It's just each one of these personalities will bring, you know, sort of different behavioral characteristics. I think Joe Biden is one and the Afghanistan side of it was a very good lens through which to look at 
where he's willing to deploy force and where he isn't. He's not going to be someone who, uh, like a lot of liberal internationalists, um, and I, I know, and I respect you, uh, Mark, I know a lot of liberal internationalists are going to um, say, oh, here's a bad problem uh, somewhere. Let's go fix it. Let's send in troops. Let's send in USAID. Let's send in whatever resources may have. But Joe Biden privately is going to ask the broader strategic questions. Can we succeed? What are we inviting? Is this going to become a black hole for American effort that will never yield anything? You know, when you look at Syria, for instance, Syria or Afghanistan, these were places where they were domestic civil wars between many contending factions with proxy wars of regional powers on top. And so if you're going to undo something, I think the U.S. You know, media and, and unfortunately a lot of the foreign policy community look at these as binary challenges. America is going in with a white hat and fighting people with black hats. Joe Biden, and I think to some degree the Obama administration and some of the, the personalities that defined it made a mistake of defining some of these engagements and trying to rile up the American uh, base to be supportive of military action or intervention uh, in certain ways um, and kind of simplifying their complexity. Joe Biden dives into the complexity and doesn't run away from it. And I think that's going to be one of the big differences between them. And obviously, you can probably tell from my tone, I'm someone who believes that we should be cautious of diving into something that becomes an intractable and unsolvable problem. Uh, and sometimes that's very hard. The discipline to not go in somewhere is very, very hard when you see people dying, when mm -hmm. you see dictators, but you've got to find other levers of power that don't necessarily trap America in a situation that it can't extract itself from, particularly at, at a time when domestically in the United States, and we see that in, in what drove Trump to office, so much skepticism of internationalism today. I should say, under your tutelage, Steve, I, I have been wrestled away from uh, liberal interventionism. So I, I have you to thank for that. <laughs> Lastly, what sorts of, of individuals do you see around Biden, uh, you know, obtaining key posts in the administration? And could we expect him to rely on the same kind of coterie of advisors that he's relied on over the past, you know, you know 40 years in politics? I think Joe Biden is going to be a team of rivals president. I think he's going to see himself as as the decider. I think he's going to see himself as comfortable with that power. But I think he's going to bring in uh, uh, people who think very differently from him because he saw um, and I think and we've all seen to, to a certain degree some of the dangers of a president who only surrounds himself with yes people. And, and so I think he's going to bring in people from different parts of the establishment. It wouldn't surprise me to see Susan Rice. Uh, a lot of people were talking about him being very comfortable with Susan Rice, being aligned with Susan Rice. I, I couldn't disagree more. I think they're very different kinds of personalities, have very different templates for foreign policy. They respect each other and they like each other, but they are very different. And if Susan Rice comes into an administration, she is going to be executing Joe Biden's policy, not her own. Um, you know, Susan uh, is good uh, at, at drawing lines in the sand with rivals and bringing a lot of attention to that. And he may use someone else in the national security advisor position as someone who's going to broker deals, right? So you have somebody who's going to, you know, make clear what, you know, strident American objectives are in the world. That might be a Susan Rice at state. 
Uh, and then he'll have somebody else that's going to be more the wheeler dealer, the one, you know, willing to deal with the devil. You know, it's one of the things I, I used to admire a lot about Richard Holbrook, um, who was a friend of Joe Biden and the late Richard Holbrook. Holbrook, I wrote, you know, and, and his wife, Kati Martin, was never happy with this article where I wrote once that he was the Democrats' perfect amoral man because mm-hmm. he was willing to deal with the devil to achieve great global justice ends. Uh, and and, he and if you read un- that Susan Rice uh, memoir, she just hates him. It's it's yeah. it's it's with with an intensity that comes through in her book. Richard Holbrook would walk into any room and deal with the devil. And he did deal with the devil and he would position and outmaneuver and outfox. But the goal was always clear, whether it was, you know, uh, uh, bringing AIDS, uh, HIV relief in Africa, whether it was, you know, doing deals around the world that would solve, you know, other kinds of challenges. And I've always thought that was something that Democrats didn't have enough of. They didn't have enough people that were willing to hold their noses and to walk into the room with the most repugnant people in the world and try and achieve something. So Joe Biden is going to have some of those people around him. And he'll probably also have people, you know, I don't know whether he'll go in because he's got a great job, but someone like Bill Burns, if there's a modern day Kissinger uh, out there in the, in, in the kind of democratic ranks, it's, it's Bill Burns, who's now head of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and was, you know, deputy secretary of state. He's someone who thinks in realist terms, unemotional, who believes in engaging, you know, complicated global realities. You know, he was ambassador to Russia. Russia and China are going to be the two biggest regular nightmares for the next president, how to manage them, how to get them back in, in, uh, uh, you know, parts of, 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 of their sandboxes that become tolerable. But, you know, I think it's going to be complicated in terms of defining that. So my sense is that the team that, that Joe Biden brings in will be diverse. Some of them you'll have who've already been around him before, like Colin Call, who was his uh, national security advisor when he was vice president. Um, but also Tony Blinken, of course, who's been with him forever. Um, these people are going to have prominent positions in that in that mix in the foreign policy space. But then you'll see Joe Biden bring in uh, potentially other major people. And even if they don't give their positions, you know, give up their slots like Senator Chris Murphy, who just loves foreign policy and national security issues, be given certain tasks and roles to help. So I think you're going to see a big tent. You're going to see Biden ask a lot of the foreign policy establishment to play key roles and to help guide and advise them. And you're going to see some unusual Folks come in, you know, Bob Kagan, uh, uh, who has always been a Republican, huh. you know, in this, I can't, I, I, I imagine that Bob Kagan uh, is, is going to be one of these people that, that Biden brings into the White House to listen to, to explore ideas. This is one of the great things Obama did. And actually George W. Bush did as well as they created tutorial opportunities to sit down, you know, with some of the world's greatest thinkers um, who, who weren't, who were not even in the same wavelength with Obama or George W. Bush and listen to them and bat around ideas. So I imagine that there's going to be a a time that Biden does exactly the same thing. And he brings in an array of diverse thinkers simply to learn from, to hear from, and to tool up. Uh, Well, Steve, thank you as always. This is a pleasure and, and a treat. And I always love learning from you. Thank you. My pleasure, Mark. And congrats on this wonderful podcast. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Steve. That was great. I always love uh, speaking with Steve and seeing Steve. Like I said, he was a a great friend and and mentor to me early in my career. 
And I like how he, he always needles me because you know, he you know, is a little bit more of a realist than I am. And I'm a little bit more of a liberal internationalist uh, than he is. But I, I feel like in the subsequent years, our, our ideologies have kind of converged. Anyway, great talking to him. Thank you, Steve. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks. Bye.